Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host here to break down the losing series for the Colorado Avalanche. JJ Jerez, of course, with me, Arif Dean. Are you booing me or the series? No, the series, four straight losses, boo. Oh, okay. I thought you were booing oh. me because that's kind of harsh coming in because it's already going to be a pretty negative-toned podcast, right? It's kind of tough for you to bring me in that way, but no, no, you're, you're not booing you're me. Doing, you're doing better than the Avalanche did in games three, four, five, and six, so you're good. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, not just the Avalanche, Denver Nuggets too. Don't forget, you know I'm a big Nuggets fan. Denver sports just going real rough. Yeah, they also lost four straight. Nobody's won a game since 2016, I think. Right, right. So, what a, what a world. Let's get into breaking it down for our kind listeners. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's uh, let's let's hit it hard here, Arif. Um, it's really our, you know, our last big podcast of the season. Everything else uh, for the off season just kind of be us having conversations about God knows what. So uh, here's here's our last Expansion analysis. Draft and the draft <laughs> and is is Seth Jones coming to the Avalanche and what do they need to do? Are they getting rid of Ryan Graves or Jonas Donskoy? Oh, it's going to be fun. How much is Kel McCarr going to make? Grubauer, is he coming back? Landeskog. But first, let's let's do the funeral podcast. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, of course, for the third year in a row, out in second round, obviously a million reasons that we could talk about, but that went wrong. But I think let's just start with a simple brief synopsis of what you think exactly imploded the Colorado Avalanche. And then we'll just kind of have a conversation from there. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. I mean, they let's let's start with the fact that they were playing the second best team in the NHL. So it sucks to say that it was a second round series, but it ultimately that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, so many people looking way too far into that whole second round thing, right? I mean, it, it's uh, only second round because of the COVID season. Anything else? Because I, I, I get it. I get the thought process, right? You're like, well, three years ago, this team was still in a rebuild. They get to the second round and get bounced. Okay, next year they were supposed to make some progress, get to the second round in the bubble, which was also weird, right? Throw, throwing everything off the tracks and they get bounced. And then here's the year they're the favorites or whatever and getting bounced in the second round. But this isn't a real second round. So I think too many people were really buying way too much into that whole uh, storyline there. Yeah, I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna get into that because the reality is when you look at what the Avalanche's actual division is, it's St. Louis, it's Dallas, it's Nashville, it's Winnipeg, it's Minnesota, it's Chicago. You know who would have been second place in that? I mean, I know they played seven teams and whatever, but judging using this year's standings and points, you know who would have been in second place behind the Avalanche in that division? It wasn't the team that went to the cup final last year. It wasn't the team that made the cup final in 2019 and won. It would have been the Minnesota Wild. The Avalanche would have walked away with the Western Conference. They would have played St. Louis or Dallas in the first round, and then they would have played probably Minnesota or Winnipeg in the, in the second round or you know a combination of those teams. And then they would have met Vegas in that juggernaut series, one versus two, like the old Avalanche Red Wing days in 2002 and all those other series. That would have been the third round matchup. So I, I'm not going to buy into this whole thing that they're, you know, like the Maple Leafs that can't win a first round, the Avalanche can't win a second round. Uh, it was a little bit different. It sucks that they lost the series, but it was against a great team and probably one they should have met in the third round and one that they could have beat if they didn't, you know, go out the way they did. Right. I mean, I understand the frustration. You want to go deeper in the playoffs and at least get a, a sniff of the cup. But it's obvious this team has progressed in the last three years. So yes. it's really just you know, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's a game of bounces. And that's just hockey. Right. And in reality, it was kind of just three bounces that changed the entire series. 
I mean, the reality is when you're looking at the Stanley Cup playoffs, I think people forget just how much parity there is in this league. When you look at the NBA, remember that stat after the second round or after the first round of the NBA, it was like every team that made the final four last year, the only one standing is the Denver Nuggets. LeBron's out and this team is out and, and Steph Curry is out. And this is the first NBA final without Steph or LeBron since friggin' 1986. Like it's just all these weird numbers and people are like, oh my God, that's bad for basketball. That's I'm like, no, that's the kind of parody we have in the NHL because in the NHL, it is a coin flip. In any given year, something could happen. And then in any given game, something could happen. And, uh, Sometimes you all have a constant, like the fact that the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Vegas Golden Knights and the fourth team is the team Corey Perry is on is now in the final four again. But ultimately, game by game is a coin flip, man. That's the way the NHL goes. You need to be able to, you know, let that coin land on heads four times. And, uh, you know, this is not to discount the Avalanche and, and or the Golden Knights and what they did to the Avs. But there's a lot of parity in this league. And I think we always often forget to, to talk about that. It was interesting, though, how it wasn't as disappointing of a loss, right? I mean, I guess maybe you, you kind of saw it coming. Maybe it's the fact that Vegas didn't exactly steal it. It wasn't an upset. It was just a really good series. Like we said, it could easily have been a Western Conference final in a normal year. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was years past, you know, San Jose, you look back to Dallas, those were upsetting losses. Like, I feel like yeah. people were more traumatized by them. This was more, I, I don't know, it had a weird feel to it for some reason like that. Well, because the series against San Jose, you were this underdog that kind of came in and destroyed the number one seed in the West in Calgary. And you really give San Jose a, ran, a run for their money. You never fell behind by two games at any point. It was, you know, one nothing and 2-1 and 3-2. And, oh, captain, my captain, and forced the game seven. And in game seven, you were in it till the very end, and an offside call kind of screwed you. Whether, you know, the call was offside or not, that is what ended up being the series-ending decider. And that stung. Against the Dallas Stars, let's face it, the Avalanche win that series if they had one or two less injuries than the 44 that they were dealing with. Uh, I, I love the Hyper Bowl, 44. The last time the NBA Finals didn't have LeBron was 1986. Love it. But uh, it's... it's uh, it was, it was a disappointment because of that, because Michael Hutchison came in and won game five and six somehow, got you to a game seven, and you still lost in a game seven overtime when you could have probably squeaked it away. This one was a juggernaut series. This one was the one verse two. This is the Avs and Wings in 96, the Avs and Wings in 97, the Stars and Avs in 99 and in 2000 and the, and the Avs and Wings in 02. This is the two best teams in the conference in the NHL playing each other in a series where somebody has to lose and it just so happened to be the Avalanche. And that's that's why it didn't hurt as much. It's because you lost to a damn good team. You didn't lose to the Dallas Stars with Rick Bonus behind the bench as a as a coach and Anton frickin' Hudobin screaming, we're not going home, and Corey Perry scoring goals. <laughs> you lost to a damn good team. 100%. Yeah, they didn't get beat by a bad team. I mean, imagine being the Toronto Maple Leafs, right, or the uh, Edmonton Oilers who kind of got embarrassed right out of the gate, and they didn't get swept. So, I, yeah, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Hockey is just one of those sports. Not uh, The best team doesn't always win. I think the Avalanche had a great team, maybe even the better team. They just were faced against the kryptonite, you know, right? Yeah. Vegas has exactly what beats the Avalanche, and that's it. So I kind of want to revert to a, a conversation we had just heading into the playoffs, right? And I'm sure you saw this coming. And I asked this already, but did this did this Colorado Avalanche team peak too early? 
We remember that 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 big stretch they had. I I remember that big stretch, and I don't think so because we saw them do it two or three times this year where as soon as they fumble a game or two in a row, sometimes three in a row, but very rarely, uh, they get it back. And uh, we saw it again. I mean, you asked me that question in the middle of the season before the COVID pause. Remember that? Before April. Mm -hmm. Well, what did they do after the COVID pause? Remember how they lost that game to St. Louis and O'Reilly scored a hat trick and all that? And then Grubauer and Donskoy came back? Ho-hum. They won 11 straight games. They won five straight games to close out the regular season. They won the first six games of the playoffs. So they did it again. They didn't peak too early Mm -hmm. because they did it again. The difference was... Vegas found out how to shut them down. Vegas had the physicality to shut them down. They had the coaching to do it. They had all the confidence in the world. And they did everything possible to smother the life out of the avalanche. And then found a way to make it so that the Avs beat themselves. Vegas did so well, they forced the avalanche to make their own mistakes. Where we saw Sam Gerrard turn into a scapegoat. Where we saw Kale McCarr making mistakes. Nathan McKinnon doing that thing where he tries to do too much. Philip Grubauer suddenly not looking good. Like Vegas did everything in their power to make the Avalanche beat themselves. And it's not because the Avalanche didn't, you know, they peaked too early. It's because Vegas found the recipe. Pete DeBoer did it again. And uh, they beat the Avs four straight games. Right. And let's look at the narrative back when uh, they were playing the Blues series, right? I mean, it was the Avalanche were dominant. St. Louis didn't know how to handle it. And Saint, and even Ryan O'Reilly was left dumbfounded. Like, wow, I thought we had a better chance against these guys. So, um, yeah, it was partially the Avalanche kind of shooting themselves in the foot and partially just Vegas making them shoot themselves in the foot and then capitalizing on it, right? They just capitalized on every avalanche mistake, it felt like, and they just had no room for error, which is just a frustrating way to play hockey. Even our, you're a great team, you can feel down on yourself, but, it, you know, it's just that's just the way the game's played, unfortunately. That's why we play the games. It happened twice in game six, and one of them was late in the first, the goal that made it 2-1 Vegas, and then the second one was that backbreaker late in the second, the goal from Petrangelo, when the Avalanche had three or four or five chances to clear the zone and didn't, and then, you know, they shot it, it hit off the backboards, came around, Petrangelo put it right above Grubauer, and it kind of had that look. When Burakovsky came in and fired home that goal to make it 3-3, to you kind of looked and was like, they worked so hard for that goal. And then Vegas comes out three minutes later, the Avalanche have a minor hiccup and it's in the back of the net. Grubauer suddenly wasn't making those game saving stops. And I'm not blaming Grubauer, by the way. This is what I said earlier in the series when you said, is Grubauer uh, running out of energy? I said, if he faces 40 shots a game, yes. Well, I lied. It's not if he faces 40 shots a game. It's just if he faces shots that are coming off of terrible turnovers that are grade A scoring opportunities, he's eventually going to lose his cool. And that's what happened. So Vegas, it just seemed like every chance they had, like you said, every mistake the Avalanche made ended up in the back of the net. I also think back to game one, and part of me really thinks that the physicality that went down, even the Ryan Reeves suspension, you know, while it didn't feel like it played against the Avalanche's favor too much at the moment, looking back, I feel like it did make a bigger impact. Uh, I feel like it maybe kind of got to the Avs mentally and they kind of started playing a little bit of a softer game, right? They played with a little bit less urgency and were maybe a little bit afraid of the physicality. I mean, I don't know if you've had the chance, but they have the quest for the cup on ESPN plus, right? I bought, had to buy ESPN plus today because I'm trying to watch some Euro action yeah. and I'll, yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna get your login after this and I'll watch it, but yeah, go on. <laughs> and I figured, uh, you know, might as well ESPN plus is going to be on 
uh, or NHL is going to be on ESPN Plus next year, so might as well get ahead of it and get ready for it. But in it, Quest for the Cup, you got some candid conversations with Jared Bednar and the bench, right? And that's kind of something he says. He's like, you know, if you want to get back to them, get the puck deep and and get a hit on them down there. Don't play softer in our end. Don't back up. And um, it just kind of felt like even Jared Bednar there is kind of calling out the guys saying, hey, let's toughen up here. And that was in game one. That was in all that jumble, you know, all that stuff was going on. So um, I don't know. What's your thought? How much do you think that game one physicality impacted the rest of the season or the series? You you know how they say set the tone when you're losing? Well, Vegas did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I I do not condone what, what Ryan Reeves did to Ryan Graves. Screw that. That's bullshit. That doesn't belong in the game. But sure, they finished every check. They made sure that they made it known that we are not going to, you know, take a back seat. That's what you do. It's what you do at the end of every playoff game. It's why you see a bunch of players get kicked out at the end of games like, oh, we just lost 5-1, but we set the tone for the next game. I think that that plays a part in why Bednar reamed them the first time they lost a game this year after game three. And I think it plays mm-hmm. a part in the reason why Vegas was able to kind of get to them. It's because of that. It's because they were able to set the tone physically. Do you Have you seen the picture from the first round series of Montreal versus Toronto of Austin Matthews kind of getting tugged on his collar from the back and he just has an ugly smile on his face? Yeah, I think so. I think I know what you're yeah, saying. It's, it's, yeah, he was kind of like getting collared and it happened once or twice where every single time they would try to get to him. This is when Toronto's winning the series. You know, the series is 1-1. They're up 2-1 or 3-1. And every time they do this to Matthews, he kind of just has a smile on his face of, nope, I'm not going to get into this physical game with you. And then Montreal won three straight, eliminated them, beat the Winnipeg Jets four straight. And now they're in the third round playing the Vegas Golden Knights because they were able to come back in that series against the Maple Leafs. And it kind of is reminiscent of that. They took Matthews off of his game. They took McKinnon, Vegas now, off of his game, and they were able to win those physical battles. It's got to be frustrating from a from a coach like Jared Bednar, right? That's how he made his living, was being a hard-nosed player, knowing how to get the physicality up in a game. So I guess looking back at those Game 3 comments, like you were saying, and hearing his frustration, it makes a lot of sense why he was just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know why these guys aren't, aren't playing the uh, hard-nosed style that I need them to. So again, I hate to have this conversation for the 84th time in four seasons here, but is this team equipped to play playoff hockey? What kind of moves do they have to make to kind of be more of a playoff ready team? Cause it feels like a, the same conversation that they're kind of getting bullied out. It is the middle six wingers to me. And let me tell you why that is your middle six wingers. And this is a conversation I've had all season. If there's a place to fix, it's that because your middle six wingers all season has been Burakovsky, Donskoy, Saad and Nichushkin. Three of those guys are more finesse in Nichushkin, Donskoy, and Burakovsky. The last one is Brandon Saad, who plays a scrappy game, but he's not a big body. Now imagine Brandon Saad walks in free agency. Uh, pick a pick a, pick a a player, Donskoy or Burakovsky. We'll say Donskoy. Donskoy's gone. You have Nichushkin. You have Burakovsky. You need to replace the other two wingers with more physical presence, with bigger guys, with guys that can play a role like Corey Perry, but, you know, Corey Perry is a fourth liner now, but you get the point. You need to have more physical players into those spots and really have that physicality up and down your lineup. Because I'll say it again, Randon Landeskog and McKinnon is not a, uh, is not a weak line. Those guys can hold their own physically. 
Nazem Kadri can hold his own physically on the second line. Who are you going to stick on his other wing? It was Brandon Saad. It was Burakovsky. Let's see, you know, let's use that trio as a, as an example. They can hold their own physically. But then your line three was Jost or Comfer, mostly Jost with Nichushkin and Donskoy. And there was just no physicality there. So you need those middle six wingers to be upgraded. Saad is likely gone. They can't afford him. They're probably going to lose Donskoy unless they decide to trade Burakovsky, which I wouldn't be surprised considering the money he makes and keep Donskoy instead. Um, well, now you need to replace those guys with more physical players. Those tough guys from Vegas that were beating you down, you need to have somebody to offset them. Then how about the cap gymnastics that Joe Sackick's going to have to deal with? How, do, you, do you think it's going to be tough? I think so. I I have this dream scenario, and we'll we'll talk more about this in another podcast as we start to plan for the offseason. I have this dream scenario of the Avalanche trading Eric Johnson somewhere and doing the Brooks Orpic thing when uh, the Avalanche acquired Orpic of trade him to a team, give him a draft pick as a thank you, have them buy him out, bring him back here for one and a half million. EJ, we love you but you're making $6 million. We can't afford that. So that's kind of an example, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, something we have plenty of time to dive into here in the next coming weeks, months, and everything. But while we're on the topic of Joe Sackick, I guess I, I also want to take a second to point out those uh, trade deadline moves, right? I mean, bad, ultimately, they ended up being worthless, yeah. So, um, you know, it's starting to be on the decline, the perception of Joe Sackick, right? I mean, at first he was a GM god and the uh, best... GM that might have ever walked the planet, and now it's, we're starting to see some errors here and there. And now this is going to be an off season where he's really going to have to um, try a little bit harder to figure things out. So his his off season moves have been have been on point every single year. I mean, come on, dude, he got Devon Taves for for a second and a second, Burakovsky for a second and a third. Pick four guys that the Avalanche have drafted in the second and third round. Some random guy in the, Cam Morrison, and in the second we got Nicholas Maloche, AJ Greer, and Connor Timmins. All right, those are four guys that the Avalanche traded for a top pair defenseman in Devon Taves and a goal scorer in Andre Burakovsky. So he's really good at doing that. Philip Grubauer, he got him for a second round draft pick by taking on the Brooks Orpic contract and buying him out. He's made some damn good moves in the offseason. The trade deadline, it always seems like it's a dud. It's Vlad Nemesnikov for a fourth round draft pick. Good depth guy, but wasn't as much as what the Avalanche needed. It's uh, for some reason, Carl Soderberg, who ended up being a complete failure. I thought Soderberg was going to come in and kind of be the Soderberg of old because that's what he was doing with Chicago this year and really being a guy that you could rely on. Hell, like the 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 expectation I had from Carl is the kind of expectation that when Kadri's suspension happened, it's OK because you got Carl and Carl a couple years ago was your second line center in the playoffs. But it didn't end up being that. And then Patrick Nemeth, I mean, come on, dude. Detroit has a kid named Troy Stetcher. That, that's the one you should have picked up. He went to the world championship and had a hell of a tournament and won a gold medal with Team Canada. That's the guy you should have got. Why did we go back to the well with Patrick Nemeth? And I know I'm eating my words because I was okay with it when it happened. Yeah, I mean, what you saw from him in that last playoff series, I think, can easily change anybody's mind, right? I mean, so many pucks through uh, just the middle of the ice that led to turnovers on the transition against, like, the, he just really was one of the biggest reasons that the Avalanche blew it there. So I'm with you on Nemeth. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's done in the NHL, right? I'm kind of, I was kind of surprised Detroit even wanted him after the uh, Avs decided they were done with him. Yeah, and uh, I can see him going the way of Mark Barbario and just ending up somewhere in Europe, you know, playing in Switzerland or something, which isn't a bad place to live. I'm not going to lie. But um, 
the reality is that wasn't a good move. See, the problem with Joe Sackick is these last few years, he kind of goes bargain shopping for the trade deadline. Fourth rounder for Nemesnikov, fourth rounder for, who's the 2018 guy? His name is escaping me. Uh, Derek Brassard, fourth rounder for Derek Brassard, or maybe it was a third rounder. Uh, fourth for Nemeth, a couple of middling prospects for Soderberg. Like, if you want to make a move at the trade deadline that's going to have an impact on your team, go out and do something like Vegas did, acquire, trading two second round draft picks. Pretty big, you know, giveaway for Matthias Janmark. Do what Florida did and bring in Sam Bennett. Hell, I would much rather you strike out on doing what Toronto did and trading a first round draft pick for Nick Felino. That's the guy that I was talking about about a month and a half ago for the Az bringing in. Try to bring in a name that is going to make a difference rather than just a depth piece. The trade deadline is there for a reason. It's there for you to be the avalanche of old and add Theo Fleury, and that didn't work. But then you added Rob Blake, and that did work. And you added Ray Bork, and that worked. Like It's there for you to, to add to what is already a strong team. Vegas did it. The avalanche did not. Yep, still a big test ahead here, but um, I kind of wanted to look at Nathan McKinnon. Me and Ryan on the hockey show this past weekend kind of had a little bit of a debate on his demeanor after the game. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts because I personally saw some growth. I saw a little bit of, you know, of an attitude that kind of impressed me. Ryan did point out some things that he said that maybe rubbed me the wrong way after thinking about it a second time. But overall, I just thought that Nathan McKinnon handled the loss a little bit better than I expected him to. What would you say to that? I, I believe both and I agree with both. And the reason why that is, is because let's face it, like Bolding said, the avalanche do not do a locker cleanout day. And if they did, it would be a lot easier for me to ask Nathan, it's been a hell of a 12 months with both of these COVID pauses. Just talk about what it's like to kind of be over with it. You know, these last 12 months you had two playoff losses and, and, and we're going into a real off season. You're starting back up in October with fans and real hockey again. He's not interested in answering that question after a game six and series loss. I understand that. He's not interested in talking about that. He should be interested in talking about that two or three days later when they do a clean out, but they don't do that. So I I get that. I did see growth in the sense where he, he took the questions. Uh, he handled them with about as much class as he can. He didn't tell me to F off. He just said, to be honest with you, all I care about right now is the game six loss. That's good. That's a fine answer. I had no issue with that. Uh, he handled somebody else's issue or question a little bit better than I thought he would uh, without throwing anyone under the bus. Uh, but he did have growth in that sense. I wish he would say a little bit more. Uh, he tends to not like to answer questions after losses in general. I wish he would have said a little bit more, but I don't think he was completely as immature and as you know self-centered and I, I, I as Ryan said he was. Um for him to say, I've been in the NHL for nine years and I haven't won shit, I, I have zero problem with that quote. That's not him thinking about only himself. Uh, that's him saying that I've been in the NHL for nine years. I've been in this rock solid all-star for 18, 19, 20, 21 for four of those years. And I've yet to bring my team to to the Stanley Cup or even to the third round. That's he's he's It's a team focus. So I did see growth, but I could see why you took it the wrong way in some ways. But at the same time, if you took it the wrong way in some ways, it's because the Avalanche aren't setting him up for success by having a locker cleanout day where he can unwind after losing the game and really answer questions a couple of days later when he's feeling better. I hear that. He's, st- he's still got ways to go, but uh, you have seen some uh, maturity there. And with that, I mean, with those comments that you just brought up, do you think that is more of a shot at himself or is it kind of a subtle, like, man, I'm getting frustrated at being here in Colorado? It's a, it's a shot at himself. 
NHL players would be silly to to think the way that you just used as an example because this is not the NBA. This is not uh, Damian Lillard in Portland and everybody's applauding him because you are just a classy guy that refuses to create a super team anywhere else. And I think it, I think his quote is, or not his direct quote, but his mentality is, if you guys want to create a super team, come join me in Portland. I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. I'm not pulling James Harden. I'm not pulling a Kevin Durant. You're coming to me. That doesn't exist in the NHL. It doesn't. The way the Tampa Bay Lightning stacked up, they signed a Kevin Shattenkirk that had just got bought out by the Rangers and they brought in Pat Maroon for $800,000 after winning the cup in, in St. Louis. The way that the Vegas Golden Knights stacked up, they went and signed Alex Petrangelo, yes, but they also had to trade Nate Schmidt and Paul Stastny to make it work. In the NHL, you can't really stack up. I mean, let's face it, dude. The Avalanche could trade Nazem Kadri and a second-round draft pick for Sidney Crosby this summer, and they're still not guaranteed a Stanley Cup. That's the way it works in the NHL. So I don't think it was a shot at anyone. I don't think he's saying I'm frustrated to be here. Where's he going to go? Tampa Bay? How are they going to pay for that? There's nowhere else he can go where he's guaranteed a cup more than being in Colorado. It's a shot at himself. It's him saying, I am an all-star. I should be better for this team and I should not go five games in a row without scoring. Yeah, fair enough. I completely agree with that. all that that you said. And it's not like they exactly put him in a tough spot this year, right? I mean, they had the best team they possibly could have built in this offseason and then going into it, everybody thought this was, the, in fact, the best team. So you're right. That was more of a shot at, at himself and yeah, deservedly so, right? I mean, I, I know I've pointed it out a couple times. I just think there's, there are times where he could be better and I'm sure he sees that too. Not to take away, not take away from the defensive structure they played on him. I mean, I feel like it was white cloud and stone hooking and stick, getting a stick on him every chance they got. So that that was good on them. Yeah, but if you're Nathan McKinnon in your head, it's I'm the best player and I need to find a way to offset that. I need to beat those guys in those one on ones, and he was unable to do it. And his entire line was shut down after game one. So if I mean, I I I get his frustrations. But he's he's putting the frustrations on himself. He's putting the blame on himself. And that's there's there's no better team player than somebody that's going to be like that. Nathan McKinnon didn't come out and say our defense sucked and Grubauer didn't make saves or, you know, we, we sorry, that was an accident. It's just it's, it's so easy to do it. <laughs> uh, he didn't say like our defense sucked and we didn't make the saves or we this or we that. He said, I've been in the NHL for nine years and I haven't won shit. That basically means this was my year to do it. And I failed my team. Because I didn't score in the last five games. How quickly he forgets the Lady Bing and the Calder. Don't forget the Calder. He's won a couple things. Just he's nothing that Calder, he nothing Bing he deems and, important. Yeah, he's not winning another Lady Bing. He threw a helmet at Connor Garland. That was fun. <laughs> um, Philip Grubauer, does he still have your trust? I'm sure I know the answer to this, but I think this is a conversation as fans are having right now. Yes, he that that series was lost because the Avalanche gave him no chance. If you switch the two goalies in that series, a Fleury and Grubauer, we would be asking the same thing of Fleury right now because the Avalanche would have let down Marc-Andre Fleury and Grubauer would be riding high playing the Montreal Canadiens right now. Yeah, I think it was last podcast that I pointed out that he just looked gassed. It looked like he had reached his his uh, end and, and he had no more to give. So and um, that's I, on the rest of the team. But what I will say, and this is going to sound really stupid because the alternative is winning a cup and the winning a cup is always better. But what I will say is Landeskog and Grubauer ending the playoffs the way they did may have saved the Avalanche a couple dollars this offseason. Yep, that's an interesting point for sure. Um, I mean, I'd much rather you win the cup and pay them a ton of money uh, and then be, be in a situation where you had to overpay guys that were not overpaid, but 
pay guys the money they deserve. But now if you're Landeskog and if you're Grubauer and uh, you just had the playoffs, you, I mean, Landeskog, I mean, I, I feel like Gabe had to have been injured, man. He, he died down in that series really, really slowly. Like it was a withering away. He just withered away as the series went on. The Avs are going to save some money based off of how those guys played against Vegas. And it's kind of a, a thing in the NHL. I think Sidney Crosby kind of started it to to take a discount to stick, keep your team together and make them strong, right? And these guys are so close and they know it. They can smell it. I'm sure they're more than willing to be a little bit generous just to help keep a stronger team around and, and get put, put them over that hump that they've been so close to getting over these last few years. Yeah, and I, I think they will because look at the team that won the Stanley Cup last year that might repeat this year. Kucherov makes nine and a half, Vasi makes nine and a half, and Stamkos makes eight and a half. There's three guys in Toronto making at or, at or around $11 million. Those guys yep. took a pay cut. And then go to Miko Rantanen, who signed coming out of the 18-19 season when Rantanen was a freaking tank, signed for $1.7 million per year less than Mitchell Marner in Toronto. I just called him Mitchell. That's his real name, but he goes by Mitch. He signed for $1.7 million less than Mitch Marner. That is the beginning of we are going to take less. If you're Kale McCarr, are you going to come out and sign an eight-year deal at 11 and a half? No, you're probably going to sign a four-year deal at like seven or a three-year deal at like seven. Well, not four. Four would take him right to free agency. You're going to sign a three-year deal. You're going to sign a bridge deal. Bridge deals used to be three and a half million dollars, four million like P.K. Subban did with Montreal. Now bridge deal is seven, seven and a half. And for Kale, that's a discount. Your Grubauer, give me four years, six and a half, 25 million. Great. Your Gabe Landeskog, I was making 5.7. All right, let's bump it up to 6.3. Not a huge, you know, upgrade. It's just a couple hundred thousand dollars. So I think this team has that and they have that mentality. And I think, me, you know, it's it's going to set up Nathan McKinnon for kind of doing the same thing. Do we really think McKinnon's going to come out and sign for 13, 14 million? Do we really think that's going to happen in the NHL? No. They just don't do it. Nobody does it. Yeah, you look around, like you pointed out. I think I looked recently, there's 14 guys in the NHL making above $10 million, and most of them are on terrible teams, and three of them are on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, yeah, um, yeah, you just got to be smart, and, and that's just not the way to, to create a winning team around you. So hopefully they're not being greedy and they uh, make the team friendly deals here. Um, last thing I wanted to look at, last thing looking backwards anyway, we'll look... Uh, We'll look at some more positive things and have a better ending to the podcast here in a second. But interesting to me that a couple questions flew at Jared Bednar about his job, right? I mean, I'm not surprised yeah. about it. I get it. The second round exit again. Were you surprised by uh, people even having that thought? Because I was definitely thrown off, thrown off by it. I'm not surprised because I heard people mention it when the Avalanche had their wonky month and a half start to the season where you were all over them for it. People were kind of on Bedner for that. Like, uh, you have this great team. You need to learn how to play with it. Um, Bedner's a good coach. If if there's something he needs more, you know, he needs to improve upon, it's uh, the series with, you know, the the the, the battle within the series of, of the coaching battle. He seems to lose those ever so often, especially to Pete DeBoer for the second time in three years. But he's a damn good coach. He's a very good coach. He's uh, not one that should... he. Like he said, I I I love this team. I love this group. I've grown with them. Uh, if you're gonna point the finger at anybody, yeah, point it at me. But he truly feels like he can do this. Um, he wishes the the team keeps keeps him in and and keeps him around long enough to kind of be be here for it. But I I'm not thrown off by it. But I do not by any means think that his job is in jeopardy. 
No way. Yeah. I guess to address one of your points there, I definitely think he could have done a little bit better job playing some chess, but that's not his style, right? He wants the game to be on his players. He wants the players to be the ones deciding things, and he doesn't want to make any noise that's going to affect the game the way Pete DeBoer kind of did. So I guess it's a win and a loss there, depending on how you look at it. But it reminds me of a a few years back being with the Nuggets, right? I mean, the Nuggets were a good team. George Carl was a good coach, and they just kept getting bounced first round of the playoffs. They had one year where they made it to the Western Conference Finals and then went right back to getting bounced first year of the playoffs. And it just felt like the George Carl system, the George Carl thought process, took the Nuggets as far as it possibly could have and that a change had to be made. And I again, I would have bought into that if these last two years weren't so wonky and a second round exit was actually a second round exit. So I'm nowhere near the belief that he should be fired or or a change needs to be made. But I do think a microscope needs to be turned on. The conversation needs to be started. Yeah. And it's the same conversation. It's the same microscope that was turned on for the Tampa Bay Lightning and John Cooper. And uh, they missed the playoffs that one year randomly in 2017. And it was, okay, is this guy need to go? And they kept him. And then they made the playoffs in 18. They made it to the third round. Then they won the president's trophy in a dominating fashion in 2019 and got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And that microscope started to get closer and closer. And they still kept him around. So I'm not saying that he's going to be the next John Cooper, but what I'm saying is sometimes you need to trust your instincts and the instincts of the avalanche is Jared Bednar is as much a part of this team as the core guys is right now. When Patrick Wall was here, there was never this feeling of like, man, this is a lifer. This is a guy that you can't see behind another bench. I never felt that way when Joel Quinville was here. Granted, Quinville came from another team. I never felt that way when Joe Sacco was here. It feels that way with this guy. It really, truly does. Just like John Cooper. If John Cooper's ever coaching another NHL team, it's going to feel and look weird. It's like when Barry Trotz left Nashville. And that's the kind of feeling I get with Jared Bednar right now. I can't think of him being behind another bench because he's as much a part of this team and as much a part of the growth of these teams these last four years as the GM is, as the guys like McKinnon are that have grown over these last four years. Yeah, and there are a few guys you'd rather see in there too, right? I mean, with all the progress he's made and how how uh, I guess adored by his his players he is, I think it's it's tough to find a replacement that's going to do a better job with what he's yeah. uh, already built. So I'm with you on that. Um, it was funny last year after the playoffs how. I guess I'm trying to remember a little bit better. Was it right after the playoffs or was it after the sod acquisition that the Avs bumped up to the Stanley Cup favorite? It was pretty quick after the season ended. It was pretty much right around when the season ended. Right away, it was kind of like known like, oh God, the Avalanche took the Stars to game seven and they did it with Hutchison and Gold and all these things. And they got Bowen Byram coming and they got another year older of Kale McCarr and they got the, it was already kind of there. And then they went out and traded for Devon Taves. And it was like, okay, this is getting even more. And then they acquired Brandon Saad. Obviously, Saad was first and then Taves. I said it the wrong way, but it kind of became like, okay, this team is for real. So it happened. It happened that quick, but it started right when the season ended. So do you anticipate after this season ends, these playoffs wrap up, will the Avalanche jump right back into that favorite spot in the odds? Yes. I don't know if they'll be the favorite. They'll be top three. It's it's. I'm, I'm going to stick to the same group of four that I've been saying that that was there last year. It's going to be the group of four that's there this year. It's going to be Colorado, Vegas, Tampa Bay, Carolina. Those are going to be the four that everybody talks about. 
Well, it could be a good time to jump on those because I think now that we're jumping into a regular season and everybody's going to have an extra off season of just remembering these losses and how to build off of them. I think the avalanche window is only opening more and more as we uh, continue to move forward here. So it's an awesome time to download DraftKings and get in on that early because DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. You pick any basketball team that's still in contention, bet $1 on them, and if that team wins you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, the rest of the hockey playoffs, and so much more all week long. Don't forget the Euro going on right now, too. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on any basketball team to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Well, Arif, it's officially off season for you and I. It was a grind of a season, so I know we're not that depressed. Of course, we would have preferred to see a Stanley Cup at the end, but it's a, it's summertime. It's time for us to relax. You know, I'm even here sipping on a beer doing this final podcast of the season with you here, just trying to keep that positive energy flow and keep the relaxation. So let's put the negativity behind us. Let's not dwell on that anymore. We'll bitch about that again when the new season starts back up. Let's look at the good of this season. Let's, let's think back. It was a crazy season. You were there pretty much every step of the way. I wanted to ask you, what would you say is your best memory from this past season here? This is going to sound silly, but it's the way they outshot teams. It's the constant going into games taking pictures and posting it on Twitter of the big Jumbotron, Pepsi Vision or whatever it's called now. And it's six minutes and 14 seconds into the game and the shots are 22 to seven, 22 to three Colorado. It's 11 minutes into the game and the shots are 19 to one Colorado. It's in the second period and Arizona hasn't had a shot in over 25 minutes. It's those crazy dominating efforts that they kept putting up game after game after game was by far my favorite part because, and you hate it as much as our listeners do, how much I like to relate this to Detroit, but it's that 2008 Red Wings team with Zetterberg and Datsuk that had the puck and Lidstrom on their stick every single second of the game that they were on the ice. It was very much like that. It was every, it was out shooting teams 45 to 13 and stuff and beating them like five to one. Like it was, that is by far my favorite memory because that said to me, the Avalanche are no longer a PDO bender of a team, you know, relying on Semyon Varlamov making 50 saves and a goal from Max Talbot. The Avalanche are no longer a team that's getting lucky. They're no longer a team that's weathering the storm. They are the team that is better, that is playing better, that is dominating the game, dominating play, and actually playing the way that the better team should play each and every single night. And when it ended, 
they lost four straight games and were pissed out of the series. Right. Don't forget the fact that they were playing basically every night, every other night. So to have those kind of starts and those kind of uh, performances game in and game out, you know, I think when I look back at this season, I'm going to think about our podcasts and you look deep into the advanced analytics of the podcast. And I would say about 20% of them were negative and they were all at the beginning of the season. And then all of a sudden we just had a streak of just positive podcast after positive podcast. There was nothing to say bad against there wasn't. them. It was all good. And I was in a great mood and everything was awesome. And then you had about, a, you know, a four game window of adversity and it really sucked for everybody and that was the end of the season it, it ended so quickly so really yeah. i think in the grand scheme of things when we look back at this year there's going to be a lot of positivity a lot of good feelings about it yeah they got a president's trophy i don't really buy into that too much but it was a, a nice little accolade for you know a team that's really come a long way in the last few years so hey patrick um, death taxes and jj dress saying that this president's trophy was fake <laughs> Anyways, go on. Yeah, you know it was. Don't don't sit here and pretend like it, it was. <laughs> no, legitimate. I know. I, I agree with you. It's just it's an, it's an every episode reminder. This was not a real president's trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been on that negative trade since the whole COVID pandemic started. I've ever ever since they canceled the season, I was saying just cancel the rest of the season. We don't even need playoffs, right? <laughs> It's kind of why I want Tampa Bay to repeat because uh, they are the COVID Cup winners. Let them be the COVID Cup uh, winners again and actually get to celebrate it with their fans. So I'm kind of like, let's come out of COVID and be like, so what happened in the NHL? Oh, Tampa Bay won a couple cups. They had to depressingly do it in front of no fans. And then they got to do it with their family and fans in Tampa Bay. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if that if that happened because we've seen how the best teams just win, right? That, and then uh, they kind of seem like the best team. That's why I... I wasn't too bummed about the loss. I say it again, you know, just getting beat by Vegas is a, a legitimate loss. So, you know, good luck to Vegas. And I hope Vegas goes to play Tampa Bay. And it's a equally tough and equally entertaining series uh, in the finals, because that was one of the most entertaining playoff series I think we may have ever seen. It just kind of ended negatively. It was a legit Goliath versus Goliath. Like it mm -hmm. was a battle of the Giants such good hockey such a great series vegas obviously dominated three of the games the avalanche were the better team three of the games and there's a difference vegas dominated the three games they were better colorado was just dominant once but they were the better teams in my opinion in games five and six yeah just hard to be up in game three and up in game five and, and uh, kind of piss those away but game three is the one that would have given you a commanding three nothing lead Absolutely. Yeah. And those are, those are hard to lose. Right. Like I was saying before, they were just a couple bounces away from even sweeping them, right? They could have been in the driver's seat. That's all it is. That's all it takes in the NHL, man. And that's what a lot of people are forgetting as they're screaming to trade Sam Gerrard for some reason. <laughs> but I mean, like, that's just the way it works in the NHL and, and, and kudos to Vegas. I will say if you're the Golden Knights and you win the Stanley Cup this year, you are going to look pretty damn good. You want to know why that is? Because the Vegas Golden Knights are the only team that is exempt from the expansion draft. So as the Golden Knights win the cup and celebrate with their 13 forwards that are still under contract next year and six defensemen that are still under contract next year and Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard under contract next year, a lot of teams have a lot of UFAs coming up because as you get into the expansion draft, you don't want to have too many people to protect. Vegas is going to say, oh, are we going to lose Leonard or Fleury? No. Are we going to lose uh, Nicholas Haig or Alex Martinez? Alec Martinez? No. We're not going to lose Nicholas Wall. We're not going to lose uh, Matthias Janmark or this guy or that guy. Nope. 
we just won the Stanley Cup and we're the only team that's not going to get a player taken away from our roster. We're that damn good. Oh, and everybody's already under contract and we're bringing them all back next year. Yeah, well, let's look forward to this being a Western Conference for years to come, right? This just might be the uh, the Avalanche's Pittsburgh to their Washington, right? This that That's the team that they're going to have to get over. And once they finally get over this Vegas team, uh, maybe that's the cup in front of them. But yeah, I mean, I'm not disappointed with the way it went down. A lot of great teams, a lot of great hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I also wonder how hard they threw down party-wise after a loss in Vegas. I mean, yeah, it's maybe a disappointing, a little somber energy to party on, but hey, your season's done and you're in Vegas. Why not uh, go ham there? You got you got to do what you got to do sometimes and the world just reopened, so uh, maybe that's why we haven't heard from them yet. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They, they never do locker clean out, but... No, I, I don't I, I don't doubt that they probably had a little bit of fun. No, yeah, then look for uh, Jared Bednar and somebody else to be on Spitting Chicklets, hitting them with a great interview. Meanwhile, you know, Avalanche Media is just here with our hands in our pockets wondering where everybody is. Yep, that's, that's the way she goes. One last thing I wanted to get into is so many award candidates, right? And maybe it's a cherry on top. Maybe it's a, a little bit of a bittersweet thing to think about obviously another disappointing aspect of the team having so many award candidates and uh such little success i guess but are you expecting any of the avalanche players to win any of the uh, awards that they are um, nominated for respectively mckinnon no because mcdavid's gonna run away with it <laughs> grubauer no because vasilevsky is gonna run away with it mccarr can because I listened to you and Bolding talk about how Hedman is kind of like the go-to for the award, but there's a lot of people that look at Hedman and say he didn't have that good of a season. He's just there because it was the easy name. And then people that look at Adam Fox and say, oh, he was just an offensive weapon. And then people that look at Kel McCarr and say, okay, if he didn't miss the 12 games, he would have been a slam dunk winner, but maybe he'll win it anyway. So I, I think Kale McCarr has got a very reasonable chance. I, I don't think McKinnon does. And I think Grubauer will probably finish third in the Vesna. I think that's fair. I mean, I don't see any winners either. And maybe that's kind of another thing that's going to get them over a hump, right? Once these guys start strongly being considered for that finalist spot, not that they haven't been strongly considered it, but it's never been like, oh, yeah, this is definitely Kale McCarr's trophy. Not since the Calder trophy, right? Did we have that much, I guess, uh, assurance that one of these guys was going to win it? So until we can have a guy that's like, oh, well, we know... Grubauer's a hands-down winner, kind of the way we talk about Vasilevsky. That's when this team is going to be where they need to be. Maybe they're just still a couple feet away from reaching that pinnacle, and uh, they're just almost there. I thought 2018 was Nathan McKinnon's year by far, like a slam dunk, but you know we all saw how that ended up. Yeah, and it's not like he was playing with the best team, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. You're, you're absolutely spot on. Thank you, Eric. That's a good way to end this season on a positive note. And basically, right after we hang up this podcast, the off season starts for us. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to a good off season with you and a good off season with all our listeners. Hopefully, everybody that jumped on board during those playoffs stick with us during the off season, and even more importantly, during the uh, the start of the next season. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, as as much as I want to end the podcast on a positive note, I do want to end it with something else. As long as you're done, <laughs> I, yeah, go for it. Cool. Screw my positivity. Uh, it's it is what it is. But I would be remiss not to mention because if 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 the Avalanche aren't going to do it and if nobody else is going to do it, then I feel like I should probably do it. The racism targeted toward Nazem Kadri at the end of the series. Yes, actually, thank you. That is positivity because you're making a statement 
in hopes of, you know, making a positive change. But go for it. Sorry to interrupt you. So, yeah, I'm going to read the tweet that I'm going to read the tweets or the stories that were shared by Nazem Kadri's wife. And get this on a Instagram profile they have for his cat. You know, those people that make profiles for their cats and dogs. Yes. They have a profile for his cat that is run by Nazem's wife. And that profile was receiving racist messages. Uh, just terrible things. I'm not going to read them, but, you know, this was shared by his wife with the comment. These racist comments Nazem received are disgusting. Just wanted to share a few of them with you. But this happens regularly for him. This is Islamophobia. This has to stop. And then she shared a post from somebody that had, you know, put a put a racist comment toward Kadri way back in 2013, calling him a terrorist. And uh, said, thank you everyone for all your messages. I have read everyone. Unfortunately, Nazem has received messages like this his entire career. I guess you could say he learned he has learned to ignore them. This tweet is all the way from 2013. He was hesitant to allow me to share these, but I really felt that as his wife, I cannot stay silent. Thank you for all your support and let's all continue to work together to end racism in all its forms. If you feel that it is okay to go out and tweet at Nazem Kadri, just like the Ethan Bear situation in Edmonton a couple weeks ago, anything racist because he was suspended in the Stanley Cup playoffs, then please, and I mean this with all due respect, but you know, with a little bit of not respect too, go seek help. Uh, if, if you're going to make hockey culture not what it is, and if you're going to make hockey an all-inclusive sport, it's going to take more than just a rainbow NHL logo. It's going to take more than just high-fiving the guy next to you. It's going to take not throwing racist comments out at Nazem Kadri because he was suspended on your favorite team. It's going to take not being a piece of crap to PK Subban when he was losing, when he was on losing teams in series. It's going to take not doing the things that you were doing against Ethan Bear when the Edmonton Oilers were swept out of the second round. This shit has to stop. Get uncomfortable and be uncomfortable because people will call this out. I will continue to call this out. Everybody that wants to stand up for this stuff will continue to do it. There's a few bad apples out there, but those few bad apples out there need to be silented. It's just not only directed towards Nazem Kadri. You know, every single minority in the NHL gets DMs like this, gets tweets like this. I mean, I saw it geared towards Ryan Raves from Avalanche fans left and right. I mean, I wouldn't say left and right, but I saw... Um, more than I would like to see, uh, you know, kind of racist remarks toward Ryan Reeves from Avs fans. And uh, so, you know, it's everywhere, not just not just hockey either. You're seeing it in football. It's European it's football, it's, that it's, is. It's real world. This is this is what we've, it happens in European football. I mean, you're seeing some of the teams that are taking the knees to take a stance. Some of the teams that are remaining silenced. I just said silented a minute ago, like an idiot. But uh, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing some teams that are remaining, si uh, remaining silent and some teams that are trying to silence the racism. Uh, it's it's what we've been dealing with for forever. It's 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 American and world history, and it's been encapsulated since 2016 for obvious reasons. Uh, and and there's nothing I hate more than the oh those you know typical unclassy Blues fans and those typical stay classy Avs fans, stay classy Flyers fans. No no no, this is not a certain fan base that's doing this. This is a problem that we have in society and in culture. It's not just a hockey problem, but let's at least try to make it not a hockey problem. Let's at least try to get it out of the game of hockey. 
Yeah, and you look back to last year and that powerful moment with the uh, where all the teams in the West Bubble got together, right? And uh, the Hockey Diversity Alliance really was at the forefront of everybody's mind. And ever since then, you kind of saw them kind of fade out. I don't really see them being as active, whether it's because they just didn't get the support they were looking for from the NHL or, uh, you know, just kind of hockey got in the way. And I, I don't know what it is, but I'd like to see them kind of get back in the mix of things and get back to being a regular name that we hear because I thought they had a good start. And um, the, ever since then, it kind of seems to have faded a little bit. So I'd like to see that get back into action and keep trying to make a difference because that brief moment that they did, it was really powerful and it really did make a difference. It did, and I, I wish they would be more consistent with it. And, and, and I hate to pile on the avalanche, but the Edmonton Oilers went out of their way to uh, silence anybody that came after Ethan Bear, and we have heard nothing from the avalanche about everything that's been targeted at Nassim Kadri. And it's not okay. Let's just do better. Let's be better. I put it this way, man. If the, if the series was lost on Eric Johnson's back, and I hate to use him as an example because he's been injured for the last God knows how long, he's like, can I just play hockey without using me as an example? <laughs> if the series was lost on Eric Johnson's back, there would not be any racism geared towards him. No. Damn you, Johnson, you suck at hockey. That would be the worst thing you hear. Maybe an F word. But if it's Nazem Kadri, if it's PK Subban, if it's Ethan Bear, if it's Ryan Reeves, if it's Wayne Simmons, if it's Chris Stewart, it happens. Yeah. All stuff, you know, that's what off seasons are about, right? Let's all get better. And that's uh, not only at hockey and our hockey knowledge, but just at being better people. So I guess on that note, that's a good way to wrap up the season here, right? I mean, I don't really know how to end it. Do you? That's that's basically it. Let's end it the way that we know JJ Dress like to end it. Well, I will say one more thing. Oh, you want to end it how I want to end it? All right. If anybody out there is looking to buy or sell a home, hit me up, DM me, email <laughs> me, shoot me a say No, just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. Kind no, of. Uh, I will say it's, it's Monday night right now. We are 16 hours away from France starting their Euro Cup voyage towards winning and avenging their loss in 2016 to Portugal and uh, continuing to win after winning the World Cup in 2018. Go France, allez la bleue. If you're watching the Euro Cup and you're a fan of France, hit me up on Twitter. I'm going to change my display pic to a picture of me in a France jersey. It's all soccer from here, baby. Yep. And uh, obviously, thank you guys for hanging out with us all season long. Obviously, it was a fun season. It was trying at times. We had our ups, we had our downs, but we did it all together, and I can't be any more appreciative of all the listeners we have. And we even had one listener hop on board on our pod squad, and now he's running the show for us, Patrick Stedman. So thank you to Patrick, too, for joining us. And Arif, as always, thank you to you for you know being here, making me podcast sometimes when I didn't want to, and always being there to podcast and, and bring your A game as much as we possibly could this year. So good job to you. Good job, Patrick. Good job to all our listeners for making it through an entire season with us. I hope you stay on board, like I said earlier. Absolutely. And, and yes, shout out to Patrick as well. Shout out to JJ, because I wouldn't know how to podcast if it wasn't for this guy for having all the experience he's had. We're talking like you guys aren't going to hear from us until October. We're going to podcast we'll be back in next like week. 48 <laughs> hours and just be like, all right, so what's next? Who's leaving in the expansion draft? So we will be back. The 2021 season has been a damn grind. I think back to those games in those empty ranks with my fingers frozen as all hell. And uh, it was an experience. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot this year. I'm very, very happy for everybody that was messaging me after game six, uh, all of the kind words. There was one person specifically that I want to shout out because this one kind of hit me uh, just from how nice of a comment it was. And it was during game six and it's at King Piz, P-I-Z. 
It's uh, P-I-Z because he's from Canada. <laughs> hey, Riff, not a great feeling right now, but thank you for all the Avs updates on Twitter. My nine-year-old son is a big Avalanche fan in Edmonton, and we always, always follow your content. Keep up the great work. Let's hope they can get back in this game. They didn't get back in this game. I am so very terribly sorry to you at King Piz for all the many swearing, uh, swear words and cuss words I have had on podcasts and on Twitter. If your nine-year-old son is following me, I hope he doesn't learn that from me. But uh, thank you for that. And thank you to everybody that tweeted me as well. Absolutely. So I guess that being said, if you made it this far in the season with us, bless your freaking heart. Again, thank you guys so much. It's a delight doing this for you guys. So we'll, we'll, we'll be here on Twitter for you all off season, and uh, can't wait to get the other one. Glad this is a short off season for us. Quick turnaround. Hopefully we're back in the locker room, and you know we'll be back at practice and training camp. So, again, look forward to a long off season with you guys here, or I guess a short one. And um, hockey's for everyone, like we said. We really mean that. Hockey is for everyone. And we out you.